This week, the plan was to have Pastor Larry come and start our new sermon series. And uh, this is a message that I would much rather hear him give than me give, because I feel like uh, he could do this message in his sleep. He probably does do messages like this in his sleep, whatever little sleep he gets. But uh, Pastor Larry was taken to the hospital this week. He had uh, an infection, and uh, did he get did he get it home yet? Hopefully today. Good. So uh, they were looking for the source of the infection. So he let me know on Friday. I mean, he was he was going to do it. He was not going to be deterred, but uh, they weren't going to let him out of the hospital in time, he said. So he gave me a whole bunch of options. He could video himself doing the message, and we play the video. But uh, we just uh, opted to have him come next week and swap topics. So uh, here I am. I also had a backup plan in my head that I never said out loud that if I had to, I'd just have Adam LaRue fill the pulpit, and Adam got whisked away by his buddies to a Penguins game last night. I mean, sorry, a Flyers game. Uh, that was a little Western Pennsylvania slip of the tongue there. I should say I'm sorry, but I don't think I am. Uh, so anyway, uh, so he it was able to, uh, as much as you can, enjoy that game. I'm sure you enjoyed the experience. But uh, his dad says, Adam's dad says that Adam is a bad omen for the Flyers because every time he goes to a game, they lose. So, uh, so maybe, maybe we need to talk to him about that. I don't know. But, uh, so here I am uh, this week uh, thinking through something that I've been thinking through for a while, that we're going to start a new series looking at the book of Ephesians. There's six chapters in this book, and uh, we're going to look at them one at a time. But this week we just wanted to do an intro. I wanted you to get a, a grand scope as to why we would do this. Why would we pick this book of the Bible? Is it just because it's convenient six chapters and it's relatively short so you can get it done in six weeks? Is it uh, because it's an easy book to preach? Or what, what, what's the driving force behind a series? Uh, and why would we pick the topics that we do? Uh, and I think it's good for you to have a glimpse at that sometimes. So today I just want to give you some answers to those questions. Uh, why would we choose the book of Ephesians to go through? And then give you a little bit of background information on the book itself, the letter that Paul wrote, and uh, why he wrote it there and why that was important and all of those things that come along with that. So uh, if you'll uh, pause with me for a second, I'd just like to say a word of prayer for our time together and, uh, and getting into the word together and then we'll get rolling here. God, we're grateful that we have your word in front of us. What a gift. One that gets neglected far too often, I know, in my own life. Uh, when I step out of my normal routines, it's so easy to just neglect you and neglect my relationship with you, neglect your word, neglect its power. Just assume that having you inside of me as your spirit in me is enough. And it is, Father. You've given us so many tools and resources so as we open up the pages of your word today, we're excited that we have it available to us. And it has survived thousands of years of trying to make it go away. It has, it has prevailed. And it is available to us now at a, at a greater extent than the world has ever known. So may we use this resource wisely and abundantly as we step out of this place. But may you show up through your word today in abundance also. Lord, we're grateful that we can be here. We pray that the words that are spoken from my mouth would be yours and those that are mine would be forgotten quickly. Lord, that you would make a lasting impact on hearts and lives here today because of your word. May we just remember it. 
setting us up, hopefully, for what you want to teach us over the next several weeks as we tear apart the book of Ephesians. In your name I pray. Amen. So the book of Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's one of the letters that Paul wrote. And uh, we're going to get into some of the history. I'm sorry, I didn't look at the page number, the one in front of me. If you're looking at Ephesians in that Bible, you could yell out what page number it is. That would be helpful. 674. Thank you. 674, if you're looking at the Bible in the, in the pouch in front of you, I just want to let you know again that that is a gift to you from us. If you like that copy, please take it. If you know someone who needs a Bible, take it and give it to them. We would love to see God's Word in as many hands as possible. So... Uh, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. Now that has come into some debate. Some people believe that, that maybe because of the way it's written, because of the tone of the letter, that it may have been written by somebody else. That's a relatively new debate that's come onto the floor. But uh, there's not a whole lot of evidence to support that theory. The theory that is supported is that Paul wrote this letter. Uh, one of the main reasons why it's, why it's attributed that Paul wrote the letter is because it starts off saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So Paul actually starts the letter by saying that he's writing it. Uh, that's one of the main reasons why scholars would tell you, no, he wrote it. But some people say that there are people that to get the letter written, I mean, to get the letter read, they would have basically tried to write it in Paul's style and then put his name attached to it to get more people to read it. It would be like if I wrote a mystery novel and I wanted people to read it, but nobody knows Adam Johnson as a mystery novelist, so I would just sign it Stephen King, and more people are prone to read my book because they think Stephen King wrote it, right? Uh, until they start reading it, and they're like, wait a second, this isn't Stephen King at all, right? So uh, that, that actually happened. That actually happened a lot in the ancient era. There was very good literature that was sent to churches and written in, in church fathers' names. There's a, a book, there's a letter that was sent called The Apocalypse of Abraham. It's supposedly written by Abraham from the Old Testament. But now that we have carbon dating, we can look at the manuscripts, the original manuscripts was written on, and realize it was written 600 years after Abraham died. So obviously he did not write it. But by saying that he did, more people read it. That is in a subtext of, of scriptures. And so the historical documents called the Apocrypha, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, maybe you, you understand, you've heard that before. Uh, and then there's actually other ones called the Pseudepigrapha. And some of those uh, don't claim, they claim authorship that cannot be backed up by history and by archaeology and by even the wording that's in the letter in front of us. So we know that Paul wrote this, uh, and he wrote it sometime around 62 A.D. Now, between 52 and 57 A.D., Paul made his third missionary journey, and that's where he stopped in the city of Ephesus. And around 62 A.D., he's in prison in Rome, and, uh, and he writes the letter back to his church that it was established in Ephesus. Now, why is Ephesus such an important city? If you were to look at Ephesus on a map now, it's in modern-day Turkey. And there's not really much around it, but at the time, it was a major port city. Well, because of earthquakes and, and the sifting, uh, the, the, the silt that came in off of the riverbanks, that it no longer is a port city. Over the years, it has, the geography has changed drastically. But at the time, it was this major port city. And there was a, a temple built in honor of the goddess Artemis. Now, the Temple of Artemis, if you know anything about history, was uh, one of the 
that must have been one of the kids playing with light switches. Anyway, it's always wise to put the light switches for the main room in where the kids have children's church. Whoever wired this was very on top of that. Uh, by the way, churches are always wired poorly. Did you ever notice that? Every church in America has like a light switch here that turns on a light four buildings away. But uh, So they must have known there was going to be a church here whenever they put a CrossFit gym in here. But anyway, I digress. I could talk about that for a while and I'm not going to. The seven wonders of the ancient world uh, were sort of the, the seven wonders of the world at the time. And one of those was the Temple of Artemis. And it was this massive, massive colonnade that was built to honor the goddess Artemis. And one of the things that she symbolized was the moon and fertility. And so there's a lot of sexual brokenness that happened in this temple. There was a lot of worship of her that, that, that fell into the sexual brokenness category. There was a lot of prostitution that happened in the name of religion. There was a lot of uh, sexual sacrifices that, that happened in the name of religion. And uh, as long as you shroud something in religion, you can justify your actions. And that's a lot of what happened in this city. And so if you read between the lines and you see the culture at the time, Paul saw it as a very fertile ground for the gospel, a place that needed hope, a place that needed to see what real, authentic relationship with Jesus looked like. And that could only happen through the gospel. So he establishes, around 52 to 57 AD, establishes a church in Ephesus, and it becomes the hub. Later on, he sends Timothy, young Timothy, to be the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And so it becomes this major hub network of churches that are coming out of there, leaders being equipped and sent out. And as I looked at Ephesus, and I looked at the history of it, I looked at the strategy of it, I saw so many parallels to our history as a network. I saw a church that over 20 years ago saw that they were strategically placed along a corridor that reaches from Boston to Washington, D.C. And over 35% of America lives in that corridor of I-95. And the goal was to see, if you look at a map, you can see that Telford, Pennsylvania is strategically located almost at the dead center of that corridor. Which is weird, right? Because if you go to Telford, no offense to anybody that's from there, there's nothing overwhelming about Telford. It's not like you would drive through Telford and be like, this is where God is going to start a movement. Right? But God starts movements in weird places and through different people and through different circumstances and God put leaders in place to get this movement started. And strategy kicked in with vision and both of those things intersected and we were able to see a movement of the gospel, a movement of the spirit happen out of a town that maybe nobody really expected to see it happen. I think the people in Ephesus felt similar to that. Now, geographically speaking, there was more... Uh, more happening in Ephesus. There was, there was a lot more commerce happening, a lot more people in and out of the city, a lot more Roman influence. And so if you can get the gospel where Roman influence was at the time, you can get the gospel out faster and further because Roman influence was the thing in culture that day. If, the, if it was coming out of Rome, it was a big deal. and It was what everybody, it was cutting edge. It was like fashion week in New York City about... Four to five months after Fashion Week in New York City, you start to see those fashion trends hit the shelves in stores all across America. You start to see people walking through public places wearing those designs that showed up coming out of New York City. It was like making sure that if you want culture to be affected by the gospel, you went to New York City, sort of like what Tim Keller has done. 
You take the gospel to the place where most people are congregating on a regular basis and most cultures being leaked out of. So the goal is, by Paul, to get the churches established in Roman entrenched cities. Ephesus being a major point of that. So it's this strategic spot, and I saw all these parallels between what we were what we were praying that God would accomplish, continue to accomplish through the network of Penn Valley, and through what was happening in the early church through Acts, watching these churches start to develop, these leaders start to develop, the mistakes that they made and the places that they started maybe didn't take, and so they started over here and they went here and they went here. If you read through the book of Acts, it's sort of like our history. It's a beautiful thing. They didn't always get it right in the early church. They didn't always hit home runs. We tend to believe that. We tend to believe that since it's in the Bible, it's always perfect. And that is true, that we have the Word of God, and the Word of God is is flawless. What we see is tons of mistakes made by tons of people, right? And if you look through Jesus' lineage in the beginning of Matthew, you can see that there are some skeletons in the closet, right? You can see that David's there and he's a murderer, an adulterer. You can see that Noah's in that lineage and Abraham. and There are people that lied and people that got drunk and passed out naked in tents. And all these different things that happened. There's, there's tons of mistakes that happen throughout Scripture. Why are they there? Why are they there? Other than for us to see that God's grace swallowed all that stuff up. He's going to swallow all of our shortcomings up too. We're going to be able to keep moving forward. The book of Ephesus, I mean the book of Ephesians, written to the church in Ephesus, is this beautiful picture, in my opinion, of Paul coming to this church and saying, this is where major things are happening. I just want to make sure that you're well equipped for what God is going to do in your midst. And that is the background as to why we're going through Ephesians. I believe that God's doing something in our midst. At times we scratch our heads and say, how can God be doing something in our midst when there's so much pain? Whether it's a little girl dying of a brain tumor, or whether it's a pastor with pancreatic cancer, or whether it's our senior pastor for over 20 years stepping away. Whether it's one of, the, one of our main leaders in the church watching his wife die of cancer over a three-year span. Those are just in the last couple months. So it's easy to look and say, well, God, what are you doing? And the unfortunate thing is that we don't have the answer to that yet. What we do know is that God is on the move and God is doing something and Satan doesn't like it. That is true. So the book of Ephesians is well-timed because we want to look at our circumstances. We want to look at the people that God has brought into our lives. We want to say, we are poised for some great things. We want to make sure that we're ready for it. The good and the bad, we want to make sure that we're ready for it. The book of Ephesians equips us for that, in my opinion, better than most. So let's look at this, the book of Ephesians. Now listen, today we're going to look at two verses in the book of Ephesians. Then we're going to start tearing the whole book apart over the next couple weeks. We're going to look at just two verses. And that's verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. How he opens the letter is important. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, 
A couple things that we need to understand that are happening here. We know that from Acts 19, if you were to look back at Acts 19, that Ephesus was, like I said earlier, this cosmopolitan, this commercial pagan city. It's devoted to the Greek goddess Artemis and, uh, and explains, uh, and it's going to explain, Paul's going to go into great detail, explain all supremacy of Christ. He's going to go to great lengths to make sure that we understand that Christ is the all-sufficient and all-supreme when it comes to deity in the known universe. He's going to call the readers in Ephesians 1, he's going to call them the faithful in Christ Jesus, like we read. He's saying that, uh, that we celebrate the blessings of living together in Christ by faith in Him. Paul says in this to, that he wishes them grace and peace. Now that's combining both the customary Gentile and Jewish greeting in the same opening. When he says grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, those are two greetings that came from both the Jewish and the Gentile backgrounds. Why would he do that? Because we're going to celebrate God's grace as his undeserved kindness and the origin of all of our blessings in Christ. And the peace is this summary of the blessings. So, I read earlier this week this quote. It said, if grace is the origin of God's plan to gather us into the blessings of his church in Christ, then peace is the result of it, which demonstrates in the spiritual realms the triumphant wisdom of the gospel of Christ crucified. So if grace is the origin, then peace is the result. And that's what Paul is starting off the letter saying. The, the letter is divided into two halves. Chapters 1 through 3 focus in on <clears throat> the doctrine of the gospel. Making sure that you're firmed up on the gospel. I want you to understand that because you've probably recognized that that is a common theme from this pulpit. No matter who's up here, we reinforce the truth and the doctrine of the gospel because it's not something that we ever get to the point where we can check that off the list. And we can say, yep, I got the gospel. I'm fine. I don't need to know it anymore. I don't need to hear it anymore. It's not like learning the alphabet. Now, you don't go into... First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. It's not like you show up on the first day of 11th grade. And it's been a while since I was in high school. So if you're in high school, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I don't think on the first day of 11th or 12th grade, the teacher says, okay, guys, refresher. What's the alphabet? Start at the beginning and go to the end. It's a, 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 albatross, right? You don't go, it's not like you do that anymore, right? That's how I learned the alphabet, by the way. And you go through all the sounds of the alphabet. It's not like that. We tend to treat the gospel that way, though. We tend to treat the gospel like it's the alphabet. Once you learn the alphabet and you know all the letters, then you're good. And you don't have to revisit it. It's locked. You don't ever have to talk about it again. It's not like you get to the point. I know that I get to the point where, where if someone was trying to give me alphabetical order, I'd still have to be like, yeah, it's, yeah, that's the next one. Isaiah has homework now in third grade where he has to put words in alphabetical order and I still have to look at the alphabet or run it through my head to make sure, okay, did S come before Q? Does S, S doesn't come before me. Okay, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, P, Q, R, S. Yep, yeah, we're good. Yep. It's not like you, you forget it completely, though. It's not like you need to revisit it and, and relearn it. 
once it's in there, you understand how it works, you understand how it functions, and you understand how those letters play into the rest of the English language, and it helps you learn how to read. That's how the starting points start. You understand the alphabet, you understand the sounds of those letters, you understand the difference between consonants and vowels, and then you learn how to read. And once you learn how to read, unless something catastrophic happens to you, a brain injury or something, you, you know how to read the rest of your life. You don't have to revisit the alphabet. But too many times we look at the gospel like it's that. Like we've been trained, we've been, we're, we're equipped, we're good. I don't want to bash the Catholic Church, but that's sort of how they handle their business. Sit through your classes, learn all the information, and once you're done with that, you go through your confirmation classes. We're going to put a stamp on you that says you're a good Catholic, and then that's it. You never have to revisit it again. And too many times we're just as guilty of that in in a non-Catholic setting to say, okay, we're going to teach our kids to be kind, we're going to teach them to share, we're going to teach them to respect adults, we're going to teach them to share their toys, we're going to teach them all these moral-based lessons, and we're going to check those things off the list. And if they don't do that, hey, they must have crappy parents. The gospel doesn't function like that. And that's why every time we read something that Paul writes, he reinforces the gospel. Sometimes devoting whole letters just to making sure you understand the gospel. The whole book of Galatians is just reinforcing the gospel. Every time Paul writes, he reinforces the gospel. In Romans, he spends, it's his manifesto. The whole thing is just making sure you understand the gospel when it comes to practical living. That it's this complete game changer. Once you understand that Christ died on the cross on your behalf and what you came out of and into because of the grace of Jesus, it's a game changer. And you have to always keep that in front of you because you are a broken, lost individual without Jesus. And even once you have Jesus, your flesh is going to be battling against that your whole life. You've got to get this. You've got to keep it in front of you. So it's not like the alphabet. Where you look at it once, you understand it, you're good, you can check it off the list, move on to the next thing. It's not like algebra, where you understand the concept of algebra, then you move on to the next greater level of math. That's not how it works. It's not like learning how to ride a bike. The gospel is something that because of our flesh, battling against the spirit inside of us, we have to always keep it in front of us. We have to allow ourselves to mind deep into it. And so the first three chapters of this book of this letter, are Paul reinforcing the doctrine of the gospel. And the second half of this letter, chapters 4 through 6, Paul focuses in on the practice of the gospel. Notice the order, because it's important. There's no instruction on how to live out the gospel, no, like, how to... How to get programs going in your church, how to get outreaches planned and started in your church, how to get things running and and get things happening in the church. There's none of that that happens before there is a firm teaching process on what the gospel is. Too many times we leap into practices. We're going to plan this outreach. We're going to plan this event. We're going to start this ministry. We're going to start this. We're going to do this. We have a lot of pokers in the fire and people start coming to these things, but we don't know what to do with them. We don't know how to disciple them. We don't know how to assimilate them into the body. 
Because we've started all of these ideas, which are not bad ideas, but we started them before we knew what to do with them. Some of the stuff we've been doing as a church is painfully slow because we're making sure we are firmed up on the doctrine of the gospel before we get into the practices of the gospel. And Paul makes sure the church in Ephesus, a hub church in Asia, understood the gospel before they moved forward with putting the gospel into practice. Now out of those two, like I said, the the book is split up into two sections then. One through three is the doctrine of the gospel. And four through six is the practice of the gospel. Putting legs on it. But out of that, there are five distinct things. Five distinct things that Paul writes in this letter that I think we're going to see come out over the next couple weeks. The thing that that starts off is that the problem of sin and judgment and its remedy in Christ are not like in Romans, in the book of Romans, presented as this unrighteousness or deserving wrath and needing justification. In Ephesians, sin means to be spiritually dead in a a slave situation that, that keeps us separated from God. And it excludes us from God's people. So the remedy that Paul presents in Ephesians is reconciliation to God and reconciliation to God's people through Christ. That's one of the things we're going to see rise to the surface. One of the major distinctives that make this letter different than some of his other writings. One thing that Paul presents here in this letter, the second thing is that that he presents this as the mystery of God. He says that it was previously hidden and now it is revealed. And because of it, people from all over the world can be reconciled to God and included in this new humanity because of Jesus. These are some of the distinctives that Paul says in the book of Ephesians that are a little bit different than some of his other writings. The third thing is the heavenly realms are this spiritual and eternal place where where Christ has already been resurrected and enthroned in heaven and in glory. He's, He's already conquered over Satan and the powers of the realms of darkness. Paul talks about this in this letter. The fourth thing that Paul brings out in this letter that's a little bit different is he talks about church and it's a, it's a, a, a lot more important to God than just this, this vehicle for collecting disciples. Now it's not that other letters were saying things contrary to this, but these are emphasis that, that, that Paul makes in this letter that are a little bit different and distinctive to this letter. And then the fifth one is all of our blessings are in Christ. He's not only the means of our blessing, but the one that we live in. Because of faith, we're united with Him in this. We get to share in His resurrection victory over Satan and sin and death. In verse 10 of chapter 1, Paul says that uh, God's eternal cosmic plan for all time is 
to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's one of the mind-blowing revelations in this letter that he's trying to reinforce to the church in Ephesus. That God's goal, the goal of the gospel, God's eternal and cosmic plan is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's what he says. See, we tend to focus on bringing unity in heaven. God will bring all things unified in heaven and not so much strive for unity here on earth. For unity to happen, we all have to be like-minded. For us to be like-minded, we all have to understand the gospel. We all have to be redeemed from our mess, right? Because if we're not redeemed from our mess, if we're not redeemed from our sin, if we haven't accepted this amazing gift of salvation, then we are not like-minded and unity isn't happening. And if once we do understand that, why the reason that it's so important to look at the doctrine of the gospel, the doctrine of salvation, is because if we're not on the same page with the doctrine of the gospel, then we're not unified in our message. We're not, unif- we're not going to be unified in our practices. So it's so critically important that we pause sometimes and look at stuff like this. This is why Paul is sitting in jail Maybe for the last time. This, this is written around three to four years before he's executed. So Paul knows that he's close to the end as he's writing. And he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus as this timeless reminder that unity in heaven and unity on earth matter through the life of Jesus, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what the church needs to strive for. This life-giving message needs sent out. We can't do that if we're not unified at the front end under what the message is. It's not like you have to check these things off a box and say that I need to know this, 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 and this before I can share the gospel with my neighbors. That's not it. But if we're not unified in our understanding of the gospel, if we're not unified in in what we understand Jesus' act on the cross to be for, and who it was for, then our practices will be discombobulated at best and ineffective. We won't see the gospel further because we'll be doing things in a haphazard manner. So what did Paul do? What model did he set for us? And why did I think, why did we think as we tear up the word and we look at it and we try to ingest it, why did we come to the conclusion that Ephesians was timely for us right now? And it's for that reason. To look at the depth of the gospel, to understand the doctrine of the gospel together as a body, then talk about the practice of the gospel so that whenever we start really putting legs to this thing, we'll know what we're all talking about and we'll all be saying the same things. And if we don't do that, then we start to assume. Listen to this quote. However ordinary we may feel, every local church that works together to teach the gospel of Christ is proclaiming the victory of His death and resurrection in the spiritual realms. Your church matters enormously to God. And so Ephesians is definitely for you. Our church matters. Think about that. 
Our church is here, strategically here, at this time, not because a, a bunch of men are on a boardroom table decided this would be a good place to put a church. We're strategically here because this is where God ordained this church to be. And if we're not unified in the gospel, then our practices won't be effective. That's why we do it. That's why we tear open a book of Ephesians and we try to digest it because we want to understand the doctrine of the gospel and then we want to know how to put legs on it. And all those answers are right here in God's word. We just have to mine for them a little bit. So I hope you're engaged in the process over the next couple of weeks. I hope you have a lot of questions and that you ask them. Uh, and I hope that at the end of this, as we look into, believe it or not, Easter messages, and we start looking at uh, what we're going to do and how we're going to do these things and events that are planned, we can all start to feel a little bit more excited about where we're headed as a church. And we can start to see God do amazing things in our midst even more than He already has. So I pray that you're with us. And I pray that you're here next week to hear Pastor Larry talk us through chapter 1. So it'll be much better than I can do it. I can guarantee that. Let's pray. God, we're grateful people here today, again, to have your word in front of us. To know it, to have it available to us. And I pray as we dig into the, uh, the doctrine of the gospel and then the practices of the gospel through the book of Ephesians, that you would teach us well. That we would understand it we would be able to digest it and uh, that you would be able to uh, transform us. God, we're, we're looking forward to you being here in our midst more and more over the next few weeks. And we pray that as we plan and as we plot and as we move forward as a network of churches, that you would help us to continue to be effective in spreading the truth of your word and the reality of the gospel to the world around us. In your name I pray.